Bruce Bridgman lives in the United Kingdom. And uh, a little over a year ago, he had an amazing experience. He went to the movies to see a film called Hugo. And it was in 3D, so he put on those 3D glasses that you wear at those kinds of experiences. What was unique for Bruce is that for his entire 67 years, he has been what they call a stereo blind man. In other words, he can only see in two dimensions. He's never been able to see the dimension of depth. So imagine living all your life with no concept of depth perception. And so the movie begins. He's never watched a film in 3D before. And as the show begins, suddenly he is able to see a new dimension. He can see a third dimension. But the amazing thing is, when the film was over and he took the glasses off, he could still see that new dimension. Doctors are baffled. They can only surmise that something triggered in his brain. Something started firing that hadn't fired for 67 years. And now Bruce is able to do life with a new dimension added to his sight. The purpose of Revelation is to give the followers of Jesus a new dimension to their spiritual vision. Because most people can only see this reality. But there's another dimension. And so Revelation opens up the curtain to that reality that is above. So that we can better interpret and navigate the reality around. And this new view doesn't just give us a bigger picture of Jesus. It gives us a better look at the enemy. Because if you are going to navigate the reality around, you have to learn how to restrain a dragon. And let me explain by asking you to look with me the first five verses of chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet... And a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. And its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. So that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Now she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so what John is doing for the first time is exposing the people of God to their real Enemy. Now, we know the context. The churches in the first century were undergoing persecution because the Roman government was asking for an allegiance that a Christian can't give. And they were experiencing financial and relational and economic and physical persecution. 
But what John is doing is saying there is a story behind the story that you're living. Because in a sense, all stories and all history is somehow being affected by this drama going on in another dimension between a dragon and the male child. Now, a couple of months ago, you saw the Christmas decorations. You drove past many nativity scenes. You saw the shepherds and you saw the wise men and you saw the manger. My guess is you did not see a single nativity scene with a red dragon. But John says, let me show you another dimension. Because the dragon was there. The dragon has always been there. Because this dragon wants to do everything it can to keep this male child from coming. Ever since he was announced in Genesis 3, whether it was Pharaoh at the Red Sea or the Goliath incident or the book of Esther, this dragon has been trying to keep this child from coming. Because when this child is born, he's not going to hold a rattle. He's going to hold a scepter. In those days, often Roman coins would picture the goddess Roma standing on a moon or a sun with stars over her head. And so in this brilliant move, John takes that picture. Actually, Jesus takes that picture and gives you a picture of another woman. She's, no, she's more than Mary. She really represents Israel and, and the 12 stars represent the tribes and the whole Old Testament is pregnant with hope of the birth of this child because it's going to change everything. And all throughout history, right up to the moment of birth when he uses his puppet Herod, the dragon wants to stop this child. But he fails. God rescues the child. He is snatched up to heaven. God covers the whole ministry of Jesus in just one verse in chapter 12. And everything that God sent Jesus to the earth to do, Jesus accomplished. The dragon fails. And success of the mission on earth was a game changer in heaven. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth. And the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury. Because he knows that his time is short. Perhaps many of you have always thought that somehow there was this primordial battle. And Satan was kicked out of heaven before God even created the earth. But that's not what scripture says. What scripture says is that before the Christ event. Satan had access to the throne 
to constantly assail the loyalty of God's children. You remember the book of Job. Satan marches right into the throne room of God to challenge the integrity of God's best man. And the reason his presence was tolerated in heaven was because heaven had to acknowledge the justness of his accusations. He was accusing God's children of rebellion and sin, and he was right. But then a child is born who accomplishes everything he was sent to earth to do. He lives a perfectly sinless life. And then he goes to the cross and he accepts and takes all of our sin and the wrath that goes with it on himself and he transfers his perfect sinlessness to us. And then he snaps back up to heaven where he's at the right hand of God interceding and pleading that blood for us. So what happens now? Now, God can kick Satan out of his court and still be just. And so Satan was expelled from heaven and sent to the earth. And heaven rejoiced. The earth, not so much. Because the dragon is filled with fury. Because he knows he's lost. His time is short. They say Napoleon got his generals around a map. And in fury pounded a spot and said, if it wasn't for that red spot, I could conquer the world. The red spot was Great Britain. Can you imagine Satan with all of his demonic minions screaming, if it wasn't for that red spot, I could have done it. I could have beat him. But the red spot is Calvary. He's not going to concede. He's not going to wave a white flag. He's defeated, but he's not yet executed. So he is going to cause all the collateral damage he can. Until he is thrown into the lake of fire, he is going to create All the hell on earth he can. And so John is explaining why all this evil is around us. By letting us see the dimension that's above us. Don't blame God for a wicked world. Give credit where it's Dude, you see what John is saying is we are in a war. We live in a tough neighborhood. And if you have eyes to see another dimension, then you can see evidence that a dragon is on the loose. And the conflict in the invisible world is being manifest in very tangible and horrible ways in the visible world we inhabit. Because the dragon couldn't get the child. And so, in the time he has left, he has set his sights on his brothers and sisters. 
So we keep reading. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. That means you. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked. And here's a big, big question. Who's like the beast? Who can wage war Against it. Now, John's readers would have immediately thought of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's got this dream. And in this dream, he has shown the coming empires that are going to rule the world in the generations ahead. One's like a leopard, one's like a bear, and one's like a lion. And what John does, he kind of takes all these beasts and he kind of puts them together into one horrible beast. And it doesn't just represent Rome, but it represents all the anti-God empires that are going to ask the people of God to give them their allegiance. And Satan is such an imitator. He has no original thoughts. And so he's going to create an unholy trinity, a dragon and two beasts. And that first beast is going to look a lot like Jesus. Look like he is killed, but he's come back to life. And I think another thing that's going on there. Nero was the first emperor to persecute Christians. And then he died. And there was a very common popular myth back in those days that Nero was coming back. Now, he wasn't coming back, but what he started was. Imagine if you're a Jew two generations ago and you hear that Hitler's coming back. That's how the Christians felt when they heard that what Nero started is coming back and it was coming back and it was going to be hard and it was going to be tough. And the main point of this image of this beast is that resistance seems futile. It just seems to make more sense to go along, to get along. After all, who can make war against the beast? This is the question the first century Christians were asking. Rome is too strong. We're losing our jobs. We can't sell our stuff anymore. They're ripping up our families. People are going to prison. Some people are getting killed. You can't make war against the beast. And so you got to compromise a little bit to get the beast off your back. Right? See, John is letting his readers know the fighting is going to be intense in this war and casualties should be expected. Keep reading. It was given power, the beast, to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe and people, language and nation. 
All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now listen, this is what Jesus is telling his church. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is a tough word for the church to hear. Jesus is saying the persecution that Nero started is coming back. And it's going to cost some of you your lives. That the war that has already been decided is still for a time being permitted. Some of you are old enough to remember D-Day. The Allies cross the channel. They establish a beachhead at Normandy. They start to advance across Europe. And that moment decided the war. There wasn't any question in the last months of the conflict which army was going to win. But there was time between D-Day and V-Day. And even though we knew the Allies were going to win the war, there were still casualties. People still died, even though they were on the winning side. What John is saying is that the fury of this enemy doesn't mean God is losing. It means God is winning and the enemy knows it, but he doesn't want you to know it. He wants you to think you can't fight the beast. And you'd better learn how to get along with this world and to compromise a little bit. And so he's not just a murderer. Jesus said he's a liar. And so if the first beast kills, the second beast is going to deceive. Verse 11. And I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Notice it like a lamb. He's such a copycat. But he spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. The early Christians knew what John was talking about. The beast was Rome and the second beast was the imperial cult. All those people that worked for Rome to make people worship Rome. The priests and the soldiers that went out and built the temples and demanded you to put incense on that altar and say Caesar is Lord. Because Satan really hasn't changed. He loves to use ungodly government and false religion to get you to bow down. And ungodly government and false religion are just puppets and he, the dragon is just pulling their strings. It's how he persecuted the church in the first century. It's how he's persecuted the church for 20 centuries, all the way up to today. Just two weeks ago, I got an email from one of our missionaries. I can't tell you his name and I can't tell you where he is because he lives in a country that persecutes Christians. Less than 15 miles from his house, he said just recently, 
group of about a hundred Christians were meeting. A mob of 700 people with stones gathered around them and threatened to kill them if they didn't break up their church. The authorities were called and turned a deaf ear and a blind eye. The government did nothing to protect our brothers and sisters. And so now they've had to meet in much smaller groups. They can't gather in a big group anymore. 15 miles in the other direction, another church of about 70 people. Another mob gathered. This time the rocks were thrown. This time your brothers and sisters were stoned. And their house was destroyed. And the government just winked. Ungodly government and false religion. Satan wants you to think you can't stand if you don't have my brand. So verse 16. It, the beast, forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. In other words, you want to survive, you want to have a job around here, you want to be able to go to the marketplace and work and buy and sell, you better, you better worship the beast. It's the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person, put that up please. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. The number is six. Six, six. Now people just go nuts here. I've heard every possible explanation for six, six, six. Mikhail Gorbachev had that spot on his forehead. He's obviously the beast. (laughs) Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters, three names. He must be the beast. Visa cards are the beast. They're going to put a chip in your head someday. That's the mark of the beast. Come on, folks. If this didn't make sense to the first readers, it can't be what John intended. Now, here's what the first readers knew. They're going to put a mark on your hand and a mark on your forehead. They'd have thought of Deuteronomy 6. Remember that passage to parents? You raise up your kids to know Torah and law. When they rise, when they sit down, you bind it on their foreheads and on their hands. That's not a meaning literally. What God is saying is, I want my mark on your heart. I want to own you. The mark was a sign of ownership. God and Satan want to both have their mark on you. 666 is the number of finiteness, the number of man. You got a choice. You're going to worship God. You're going to worship the world. There's also something else going on. In the ancient world, they had this practice called gematria. They would take letters and assign numerical value to them. You all understand Roman numerals. That's what they did back then. The Hebrews loved to do this. If you took Caesar Nero in Greek, you transliterated it, you took each letter and put it into the Hebrew equivalent, and you added up the Hebrew value of Caesar Nero, you get 666. That's one possibility. Maybe the sign is that the emperor and the government are the mark. They want to mark you. I think there's a better possibility. This is not hard. If you take the Greek word for beast 
And you simply take those Greek letters and you give them the Hebrew equivalent and you add it up. It equals 666. He's not talking about credit cards and microchips. It's a metaphor. He's simply saying that God wants to own you and the dragon wants to own you. Both sides of this war want you to wear their colors. And you understand every day you are showing in the other dimension who you belong to. The language you use, the movies you watch, the clothes you wear, the things you buy, the things you care about, the things you rejoice in, the things you complain about. Every day you are giving the dragon and the lamb evidence who owns you, whose mark is on your heart. I think that's exactly what the next reading explains. I looked. And there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion. And with him, the 144,000, we we've already talked about that. That's the church, that's the perfect people of God. Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Later it says when we get to heaven, God's going to put his name on our forehead. It doesn't mean we're going to have a tattoo. It simply means God's going to own us. We're going to belong to him. It says, they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. And these are those that did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. What John is saying is that we're in a war. And neutrality is not an option. We must Choose sides. The beast will take commitment at any level. Christ won't. See, the point of this metaphor is God wants you all in. That's why it says the 144,000, they were virgins. Now, that does not mean you've got to be celibate to be super spiritual. Again, know your Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when the army of God, when the people of God went to war, they were to abstain from sex. Because they were saying, we're fighting for God and we're not going to have any distractions. We are totally focused on winning the war for God. Now that's what he's saying here. The idea is I'm sold out to Jesus. I've made my choice. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to wear his brand. I'm going to march in his colors. I'm carrying his flag. I'm going to follow the lamb wherever he goes. And I am not going to sell out and make compromises in my life to get the beast off my back. Back in 1929, Al Capone owned Chicago. $120 million a year. Uh, organized crime ring. The government sent a young man in his 20s named Elliot Ness and nine young men to bring him down. Elliot Ness made $2,800 a year. He started putting pressure on Capone. One day a guy came to his office, put an envelope on his desk. Inside was $2,000 cash. And the man told Elliot Ness, you'll get an envelope like this every week if you lay off Al Capone. Ness gave the money back. The next day he called a news conference. All the papers were there. He told the world what Al Capone had tried to do. 
And the paper said the next day, Elliot Ness and his men are untouchable. This is what we're called to be. Revelation is not asking you to make a chart. It's asking you to make a choice. That's very clear as we keep reading. I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim. And those who live on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, fear God. Not the beast. Yeah, but the beast can put me to death. Fear God. Yeah, but the beast can take away my job. Fear God. Fear God. And give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. You've got the opportunity to place your bet after the game has already been decided. So why do you want to hitch your wagon to a spiteful loser? You don't have to wear the brand of the dragon to stand. You can restrain a dragon. You can expel him from your life as completely as he was expelled from heaven. And so over and over and over in Revelation, Jesus keeps using this word. To him who overcomes. I overcame. You can too. Chapter 12. Let's go back and see it one more time. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuse them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed. It's the same Greek word, overcame. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. All the songs in Revelation are to God and to Jesus, except that one. Do you notice the angels were singing about us? The angels in heaven were singing about us. We can Overcome the enemy. We can restrain that old dragon by claiming the victory of the cross because the enemy can't stand the sight of blood. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Satan knows that Calvary, his greatest weapon was deactivated. Jesus went to the cross to put death to death and we don't have to be afraid of that anymore. The very blood that evicted him from the presence of God invites you to stand before the throne without fear. We can win this war. We can overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by our faithful witness, even if it costs our lives. Not long after Revelation was written, 
A church father named Tertullian was asked a question by his church. Businessmen were suffering. If you didn't worship Rome, they were shutting down your business. You couldn't sell your stuff anymore. You couldn't buy anything. So some of them were thinking, you know, what would it hurt to go to that temple and, you know, drop some incense and say Caesar is Lord? And they said to Tertullian, they said, after all, we must live. And the church father said, must we live? Does Jesus ever command you to stay alive? He commands you to stay faithful. I think there's a reason the word witness and the word martyr are the same word in Greek. Because all Satan can do to a faithful witness is try to silence him. And he does, and he still is. And every time Satan kills another faithful witness, he just puts another nail in his own coffin. The dragon and the beast want you to think they are unbeatable. But the truth is, all over the world, the dragon is being expelled by lamb power. The victory decided in heaven is being manifest and experienced on earth. And some of you know what I'm talking about because some of you have restrained that old dragon. And he doesn't have the permission he once had to rule your life. You have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And by your faithful, uncompromised, sold out witness. Not easy. But it's worth it. Because you see another dimension. Verse 11. There'll be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast. Isn't that the truth? Do you really think if you sell out to what this world is offering, you're going to get the life you really want? Look at the world. Do you see peace there? The beast is liar. He promises he doesn't deliver. There is no rest for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will, what's that word? They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And it is time... For some of you to tell that old dragon to leave. Great Baptist pastor Agent Rogers tells his story. A member of his church was on a business trip coming home. Back of the plane. 
Everyone's filing off. He finally gets up, reaches in the overhead bin, and he fills a stack of paper, pulls it down. It is a stack of $100 bills wrapped in rubber bands. Reaches up, and there's another stack. $20,000 cash. And the plane is empty. He walks to the front and says, the pilot, someone left a bunch of money. What do I do? The pilot says, go to the uh, airline office. He goes. He explains what he found. As he's talking, a young man comes in, ashen-faced, hands trembling, saying he left a bunch of money wrapped up in rubber bands. The fellow said, this must be your money. He grabbed it and took off, didn't even say thank you. So this man went and held a cab, got in the back seat. He says, Pastor, when I got in that cab, the devil got in with me. He began to talk to me. The devil began to say, man, you are a fool. You know what you could have done with that money? Think of all the good you could have. And besides, you deserve that money. And besides that, nobody would have known. And how do you know that wasn't illegal money? That's probably drug money. And I knew I was going to have to do something. So I started thinking about my riches in Jesus Christ. I started thinking about my faith. I started thinking about my sure home in heaven, my confidence, my assurance. I started thinking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. I started thinking about a family that loves Jesus. I started thinking about how rich I already am. And I just said to that devil, I said, look what I've got. And when I did that, that cab driver turned around because he thought I had a gun. And I said, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the devil. He said, that cab driver kept his eye on that rearview mirror the whole rest of the way. And John is saying, look what you've got. You've got Calvary. Your lamb holds a scepter and it's going to rule the nations. You've got a future that is unassailable. Why do you want to sell that for the porridge of the beast? What compromise are you making right now with the world that is worth it? If you can see another dimension. You need to tell that old dragon to get lost. And you need to report for duty. Because this is war. And Jesus wins. Let's bow our heads. Savior. Worthy of honor and glory. Great is your name. You overcame. Help us follow where you lead. Amen. Let's all stand up. Prayer team's going to come to the front. Some of you need to change sides this morning. You need to come down here. You need to say, show me how I can be a follower of Jesus. What is baptism all about? What does it mean to follow Jesus? I need to change sides. You need to come and do that today. Some of you have been changing uniforms too much. And it's time to stop that. Get some prayer help. Be honest. Talk about where your life is and say, I want to wear the mark of the Lamb 24-7. This is war. Report for duty. Let's see.